Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Markets go up, markets go down. How is a real estate investor to invest when you don't know where it's going? Well, today we're going to talk about how you get through and weather the storm in an economic downturn on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Forbes rated Memphis the best cash flow market in the nation. And our good friend Terry Kerr at Mid-South Homebuyers has been the premier turnkey rental property provider in Memphis for over 13 years. With an A-plus rating for the Better Business Bureau, Terry has renovated over 750 houses. Real Estate Guys listeners have snapped up hundreds. Discover what these satisfied investors already know. Mid-South's properties are completely renovated with a one-year warranty and a lifelong rental guarantee. They're affordable, well-managed, and easy to own. Perfect for beginning investors and veterans alike. Get in on the action. Contact Terry and his team via email at midsouth at realestateguysradio.com. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. With me, as usual, it's co-host financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. Always good to get together and talk real estate. And today, we're going to talk about something you may not like to think about, but it's going to be very important for you uh, to learn. Uh, before that, a big hello to all the folks who came out to How to Win Funds and Influence People. Russell Gray's two-day sales event. You crushed it, dude. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was our inaugural event. So, you know, you, anytime you do something for the very first time, you think to yourself, mm, you know, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. But I really appreciate everybody that came out, went through the surveys, got a lot of good, honest feedback. I mean, everybody loved it. I mean, it was. I think it was good. I think it was powerful. But uh, I'm looking forward to doing the next one because I feel like I can clean a couple of things up and really, really bring it home. Yeah, really, really great stuff. And of course, always good to get together with listeners, right? You got to get out to live events you gotta you know rub elbows and all that stuff is is awesome well you know the thing that was interesting about this particular event is it's a little bit outside the wheelhouse of where most investors think they are and one of the paradigms that we tried to break right at the beginning of the session was the concept that i'm not a salesperson you know oh i'm not a natural salesperson or i'm not in sales or i'm not a very good salesperson i'd say you know if you've ever uh, been in a relationship if you've ever looked for a job if you've ever asked for a piece of candy or tried to convince mom and dad to buy you a new car you're in sales right everybody's been in sales every every single human being is in sales the question isn't whether or not you're in sales or whether you're a salesman or person the question is are you any good at it do you know what you're doing? And it is truly a skill. It truly is a profession. And it applies directly to real estate investing. You're negotiating. You're raising funds. But at the end of the day, it's not about the product. It's about the people and your ability to communicate with a person at a human level, at a heart level. And when you can do that, then you can influence them and you can get a deal done because you understand their need, wants, and desires. You've expressed yours. You carve out the common ground. You make a deal that works for both of you. You get that quintessential win-win and you get the referrals and the testimonials and you build your brand, your builder network, and it's super powerful. I think one of the greatest things is that sales is absolutely a learnable skill. Yes. So, and it's one you need to have. We don't have any idea when we're going to do this event again, but uh, watch for it. Stay tuned. So last week on the show, we had Michael Becker talking about the commercial market, and they're just out there on a tear to get more units. Before that, Brian Tracy talking about how wonderful life is and optimism and all that. And the week before that, Jim Rickards talking about gold and the way to you know hedge against what might uh, be happening. Our friends like Peter Schiff and Kiyosaki are all saying 
things are, are not as they seem. Be careful. We could be sailing into economic headwinds. So what I want to talk about today is as a real estate investor or really any investor, how do you weather the storm? How do you prepare for the worst while you're expecting the best? And this is this idea that, you know, like your body has red corpuscles and white corpuscles. Some are designed to nourish and thrive and move ahead. Some are designed to fight infection. And when we're real estate investors, we have our current holdings and then we have the decision we make every day about what we're going to do next, what market, what product type, and so on. So today we want to run through some philosophies and some strategies that have to do with what happens if it hits the fan, if there's some economic challenge, if the dollar collapses, if the economy falls through the toilet, if whoever's elected president really blows it. If something like that happens as a real estate investor, it's possible for you to be wiped out. You can also be on the offensive or the defensive and make sure that you're not wiped out. So there's just some prudent ways to do that. And we're going to talk about a bunch of them today just to get your mind rolling. We are optimistic guys. This is not the sky is falling. It's not doom and gloom. It's just that let's, as the Boy Scouts say, be prepared. So the first thing I think we talk about is financing. And there's a couple of places where that is going to come to play when it comes to your strategy. But the first is whether to have financing on a property or not. We love leverage. We like the fact that you can magnify your returns through leverage, but sometimes the safest place to be is all cash. When you're in a property for cash, the lender's not coming after you. You don't have a burning fuse. If something were to happen, your tenant were to be unable to pay, whatever it looks like, cash is pretty safe. But the other side of the coin is also safe when you're leveraged to the hilt. Well, the safety that you find when you have leverage is that you don't have that much equity in the property to lose. You may have your credit score at risk, uh, and maybe for a little while your balance sheet is at risk, depending on if you created a recourse loan and how that's structured. But ultimately, you don't have any cash or not very much cash in the property. And so the real risk that you have is losing the property if you lose control of the cash flow and can't debt service. So we have the saying that cash flow controls. And if you have some cash reserves, then when you have those little dips in cash flow where you're a little bit short, you have the ability to make that up. Obviously, when a lender has a claim on your property, you know, you have a potential issue. But the thing is, even if you have a property all the way paid off, you're always going to have taxes. And if you don't pay the taxes, you're still going to have. So somebody always has a claim on your property. Your property is always going to need to generate cash flow. The question is, how much of your money do you want exposed to the market? And what are you willing to trade to get that? So leverage gives you the opportunity to have a very limited equity exposure, but but it does give you a greater responsibility to manage cash flow. No leverage, you don't have that problem. You don't have to deal with a lender, but all of your equity, if you will, or all of your money is exposed to the market. You got $100,000 in a property and it goes down $100,000. None of your loan balance goes away. It all comes off the top. Well, if you got a $200,000 property that's paid for and it drops by 50%, you still lost $100,000, right? But if you have a $100,000 property, you've got $20,000 in it, you know, and it drops. Well, you're only exposed for the 20000 and it really doesn't matter what the value of the property is at the time it drops in price. It only matters what the value of the property is when you choose to sell it. So if you have the ability to hold on to it long term and you have a long term belief that the property in long term will hold its value, then leverage can, can be fine. So what's an investor to do? Well, look at your portfolio and it may be that there's some property that makes sense to own for cash. You know, there's some markets where you can get great rental houses for forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. Maybe that's something you can do for cash. On the other hand, if you're buying apartment buildings, you're going to probably want to use leverage. Now, we said there was another angle of financing and that's this. Sailing into potential economic headwinds, you want to make sure your loan is structured in a way that you can weather the storm. So that's a decision about fixed versus adjustable rates and all those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, this one's huge. And, you know, for uh, I was in the mortgage business for a number of years, starting in about 2000. And at that time, rates were continuing to move down. And I was a big proponent of adjustables. I felt like if you were an adjustable, maybe you lock in a fixed rate for three years or five years or seven years or 10 years, however long you thought you were going to have the property. 
property in exchange for trading the interest rate risk, which I thought was minor, you would get a lower rate in today. And that actually was a very good strategy at that time. The dangerous adjustable loans were the ones that had those teaser rates and then had a big jump up, right? That created a lot of the problems with the subprime crisis because people were qualifying at teaser rates that they couldn't really afford the real rate. But if you were just getting a, a note that you were actually paying what the rate was and you got a lower rate today because you were taking away the uh, guaranteed rate risk from the lender, in other words, the lender didn't have to promise you the rate was still going to be the same in 20 years when nobody knows what the rate was going to be. But I didn't care because I wasn't going to have the property, right? right? I felt confident. The market was very liquid. Real estate was trading quickly. If I bought a property, I could sell it in three to five years. Well, everything changed in 2008. In 2008, all of a sudden, the market became highly illiquid, more illiquid than it had ever been. There just wasn't any buyers. There wasn't any funding or financing. But another great thing happened. You know, they lowered interest rates to try to stimulate the economy. And so rates came down, 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 down. And they've been at really, really low rates, historically low rates for quite some time. And you have to ask yourself, when you're looking at rates that are in the threes and the fours, What's the probability over the next five or 10 years that they're going to be lower? Right. I don't think that probability is very high. I know it's difficult for them to raise rates right now, and they would like to do it to try to normalize them. And maybe they will continue to drop a little bit percentage-wise, you know, in, ter- in terms of the difference, you know, f- between a 4% rate and a 3%. That's a 25% drop. So you can continue to have a good benefit. But in terms of actual nominal note rate, you know, the difference between 3 and 4 versus the difference between 15 and 10, you know, that's five points. From a cash flow basis, it doesn't make that much difference. So my point is, right now, it's probably a good idea. And I'm not telling anybody what to do, but I think I would be leaning towards long-term fixed rate. I don't think you give up that much and you push the interest rate risk back on the lender. And if you do end up getting stuck in the property, you have a known quantity. You know what your cash flow requirement is going to be. You know what your interest rate is going to be. And if interest rates go up, you actually have a competitive advantage. All right, good stuff. Another strategy to weather a potential storm has to do with what markets you select. And we like what we call recession-resistant markets and products. Meaning that as a real estate investor, there's the low end, the C minus class stuff. And that stuff can get really dicey on any day. But when things get tough economically, really bad. And then there's the A class, beautiful property. And the problem is that's the first to have a problem and show cracks when there's a challenge, you know, globally, economically, any of that could even be regionally. But the stuff in the middle, kind of the B class, when things are good, people move up. When things are bad, Folks are having trouble can move down. So we like recession-resistant pricing. Think of it this way. In any single-family market, something below median price. You can make money in real estate at median or above median, but if it's below median, you're always going to have more people, no matter what their economic condition, available to it. And if we're relying on our income coming from tenants, we need to think about that. It's not just you that gets affected in an economic downturn. You have lots of tenants, they're affected. And that kind of leads to our next topic, which is reserves. We always want you to have reserves, and this is one of the things Russ likes to make sure every investor understands. Even more importantly, if you think there's a period of time coming when your tenants might have a challenge in paying the rent for a month or two. The quintessential emergency fund. you got to have reserves. If you have an emergency need for cash, and this is one of the things that actually hurt me back in 2008 because I was very dependent upon my credit lines. I didn't have cash. I wasn't very liquid. I thought I was liquid because I had all these credit lines. But when they started getting shut down as the credit market seized up, and it wasn't because I was doing anything wrong. I was still making my payments. I mean, everything was fine. Nothing had changed for me. But the appetite for credit risk changed in the credit markets and lenders started shutting those credit lines off. The credit lines on the credit cards were getting reduced. The ability to get financing for small business or any type of bank loans, it began to come down. Obviously, the mortgage debt all came down. And so the ability to refinance equity out of properties and do things that we were normally doing to create liquidity went away. And it was at that point that I realized, you know, you've absolutely just got to have some cash on hand. Again, we go back to that interview with Donald Trump. Back before he was running for president, we went out to Iowa and talked with him in January of 2015. And we asked him, Mr. Trump, you know, with everything you've been through, you know, art of the deal and art of the comeback, the up, the down, you know, negative net worth close to a billion dollars at one point in your life, uh, teetering on bankruptcy. And he's very proud of the fact he never personally went bankrupt, right. by the way, he'll tell you that. But, you know, what did you learn? And he said, well, I didn't learn much in the good times, but I learned in the bad times, always good to have some cash on hand. You and that is so true. And of course, when you look at how the lending guidelines have changed coming out of the recession and all the things that happened in the reforms to try to prevent 
uh, future meltdowns, the lenders have required more cash. The Fed has come in and required banks have more reserves. So there's been a lot of recognition in our economic system of the importance of having more cash reserves available. And so that's a good lesson for all of us to learn. It's hard, I know, as an investor, as an optimist, as somebody who says, you know, my cash is not doing anything. It's an idle asset. No, it's doing something. The lost opportunity cost on your cash being parked somewhere, that lost opportunity cost, think of it as an insurance premium so that if everything falls apart, you have access to cash. You buy, you know, state planners will have you buy a life insurance policy so that if somebody dies, you have liquidity to pay estate taxes so you don't have to fire sale illiquid assets and then end up taking losses that you wouldn't normally have to take if you had more time to sell the asset. And, and so it's the same thing. I'm going to have cash on hand and have that lost opportunity cost as my insurance premium to make sure that if my credit markets freeze up or my cash flows on my properties freeze up or I have some disruption, I have the ability now to tap into some cash and put the fire out. This is one of the ones I had a hard time getting my mind around because when I had cash, I wanted to go out and invest in more real estate, right? It's easy to get excited about the deal. The prudent part of having some on hand, not so much. And today, even more so, if you look around and you see what a lot of the folks are saying, and we follow a lot of different people's perspectives, right? And, you know, Jim Rohn used to say, read a book on Gandhi and read a book on Hitler. Get both perspectives. Robert Kiyosaki would call those the two sides of the coin and then remind you there's a third side of the coin, the edge that you have to look on. So it's not about right or wrong or even your opinion. It's about being prepared and reserves help you do that. Reserves are prudent anytime. If you think there's going to be economic headwinds, there's an additional element of reserves you might consider. Cash reserves are great, but what happens if one of the potential problems is a devaluation of the currency? Then you might think about having some of your reserves and say, precious metals or alternative currencies or even your point about cash as Bob Helms would say lies fallow it doesn't do anything other than that peace of mind well through the infinite banking concept and that's a big concept but you can go through our archives and hear uh, interviews about that uh, there's ways to get those idle assets if you will to work to help you in multiple ways so the idea is just getting your mind around Part of your portfolio does need to be available and liquid. And it goes back to this idea. Even though I got burned by having credit lines for liquidity, I mean, it's okay. You say, okay, I have to have liquidity. So don't think of reserves as cash dollars in the bank. Think of cash reserves as anything that you can take to market quickly and always be liquid with. There's always a, a big market for it. You know, big corporations, governments, they don't keep dollars. They trade in sovereign debt. They, they mostly they trade U.S. treasuries. It's the most liquid financial market there is. There is always a demand for U.S. debt. And so because of that, people use it as savings. We hold Federal Reserve notes, and that's our savings. You know, maybe we got a stack of them in a safe or we got a bunch of them in the bank, and, you know, that's our, that's our savings. But when you have billions of dollars and trillions of dollars, you're holding not stacks of Federal Reserve notes, you're holding stacks of U.S. Treasury bonds. That's what you're holding. And yet when you need to actually spend them, you can take them out to the market and they're immediately liquid. Gold is arguably very liquid. And people, oh, these things go up and down. Everything goes up and down. Dollars go up and down. And this is another thing you're going to talk about things getting your hard time getting your mind around is the idea that when you are, whatever you denominate something in, if I'm saying, okay, my U.S. Treasury note uh, goes up and down based on its principal value, and that's how they derive the yield, right? Okay, so that's it. My house goes up and down in price based on dollars. My gold goes up and down based on dollars. You notice a common denominator there? It's all dollars, based right? Dollars. We're, we're denominating everything in dollars. But what if you flip it around? What if you say, oh, well, my house would buy this much gold, or my gold would buy these many houses? And you take the dollar out of the equation, and now you're comparing asset to asset. And so the point is, is that when you look at your, your reserves, they could consist of different forms of assets that are highly liquid. You might have some bonds. You might have some stocks that you can sell right away. You might have some you know, dollars. You might have some foreign currency. You might have some precious metals. You just have to decide. You might even have some credit lines. You might even have some credit lines in foreign jurisdictions. You could have these contracts with these insurance companies, which is basically you give them your money and they give you a contract that says they will send you the money back uh, whenever you need it on demand well, without even having to qualify. 
So that's, you know, because you're borrowing money out from the equity and insurance policy, which again, a complex topic. But the point is, is have things on your balance sheet that are highly liquid. But you have to understand even dollars have price volatility. And that's why you even diversify your liquidity. You're not doing those things so that they grow, quote unquote, in value. You're not looking for capital gains or cash flow. You're just looking for assets that will be readily available when you need them if you need to put out a fire. We're talking about strategies for real estate investors to weather a potential storm. We've got lots more ideas and we'll play real estate trivia before we're done. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. get the most out of real estate investing, it's imperative that you pick the right market. But more goes into market analysis than just the latest headlines. Come learn how to see a real estate market through the eyes of experienced investors. When the real estate guys come to Dallas, Texas for an investor field trip, you'll learn a ton about what makes a market tick and specifically the key advantages the DFW market and submarkets possess. Study the sustainable drivers, dig beneath the headlines, understand the financial metrics, and spend two and a half days around other investors from other markets. And while no property is sold on the Real Estate Guys field trips, you will have the opportunity to pick the brains of real estate professionals that have been working in the market for years. Oh, and did we mention? It's a blast! Sample the local cuisine, experience the Dallas culture, and network like crazy. Visit realestateguysradio.com and look under events for all the details. That's realestateguysradio.com under events, and we'll see you in Dallas, Texas. Hi, this is Patrick from Paradigm Life. I've recently written an ebook called The Perpetual Wealth Strategy. The ebook discusses one of the best investments, real estate, combined with a financial vehicle used by the wealthy, many U.S. presidents, famous actors, athletes, and even Houdini himself. You can download the ebook for free in the resources section on the Real Estate Guys Radio homepage. Don't wait, go download it now. Hi, this is Simon Black from SovereignMan.com, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you've ever wanted to make bigger money doing bigger deals, come on out to the secrets of successful syndication. The first weekend in June will be in Dallas, Texas for this event. You're going to love it. You can find all the details on our website at realestateguysradio.com. We are optimists. We hope that we're going to have an amazing opportunity in the years ahead in real estate. In fact, we expect that to happen. But there are lots of folks saying, guys, watch out. The market's been hot for a long time. The stock market's headed for disaster. Gold's going to soar. Who knows what's going to happen? What we want to do is be prepared. And so we're talking today about some strategies to weather the storm. What if there is an economic collapse or a problem or a challenge? And it could be regional, right? Look at all the markets that are tied to a particular industry. We talked a little bit about markets. We can talk a little more about diversifying between markets. Michael Becker was on the show last week, and he talked about for commercial property, and he's in multifamily, in his mind, it makes a lot of sense to be focused in a market. So here's a guy with more than 3,000 apartment units, all in the DFW Metroplex. Okay, his thinking is, I have a team there, I know the market well, I've got economies of scale, I've got vendors, I'm, I'm set there, and that makes sense. We talked about the flip side of that, which is as a single family investor, you might be better served to diversify between marketplaces a little bit, not, you know, 15 or 20 markets, but a few. So imagine a market like Memphis, Tennessee. We have another good friend owns thousands of doors in Memphis. It's the only apartment market he's in and he's killing it. He's doing great. The economy of Memphis is tied to just a couple of industries. If that industry has a problem, then potentially your property has a problem. Right. So you have to get to know your markets just like you want to diversify in your own portfolio. And I'm just talking about making sure that you have some cash, you have some cash flow, you have things that you're using to protect and hedge against inflation. Uh, you have maybe things you could even use to hedge against deflation. And we, maybe we'll talk about some of that. But in a market, we talk about different drivers and how important it is to have some diversification in those marketplaces. And sometimes within a market, you can find a very diverse market like DFW. We're high on this market. We've been high on this market for eight years now. And I think that's been a good call, right? It's been a very great market. No wonder a guy like Becker is so bullish because he lives in a very bullish area. It's one of the things you have to remember, whatever your point of view is, you think that's the way the whole world works, right? There's other markets out there that maybe 
uh, even Michael would not be bullish on if he was, you know, in that particular market because it's going through a downturn. You know, you've got the steel industry right now that's having a hard time because China had built up a bunch of overcapacity. And so now they're pumping a bunch of cheap steel. Or what about the areas or the regions that are very dependent upon oil? And it was a one trick pony like up in North Dakota, right? Or, or even in a diverse market like Houston. We were just down in Houston shopping for a hotel for the 2017 Investors Summit at Sea, our 15th year at sea. And we wanted to find a great hotel and we met a gal at a hotel who said we have really had to get creative because almost half of our business were oil companies holding events and conferences and that business is way down so you would think what does hotel have to do with oil well in houston a lot yeah so dallas is a marketplace that's very economically diverse houston very diverse but less so greater emphasis on oil. North Dakota, huge emphasis on oil. Right. And so you can see that the exposure, you have to understand the exposure that you're in can be a risk. And then you need to understand then if you are in a market that is exposed, heavily weighted to a particular industry, you might not be in that industry, but you're vicariously investing in it. You need to understand the industry that is supporting your business, your apartment building, the peripheral companies that are providing the jobs that your tenants are working at. And so you might say, well, my, it doesn't matter. My tenants don't work in the oil industry. They work in the hotel industry. Right. But the hotel industry is surviving off of the oil industry. And so these things are all interrelated. And you think to yourself, you know, well, I'm just a real estate investor. Your real estate is floating in an economic sea and there's waves and currents and weather and there's things going on. And the whole point of talking about weathering the storm it presupposes that you're looking out on the horizon. You don't want to be shopping for an umbrella when the rain is breaking on your head. You want to look ahead and go, oh, look, there's storm clouds forming. I think I probably ought to go purchase an umbrella, batten down the hatches, or it looks like a tornado, you know, let's climb down in the basement. Let's, you know, tether everything down. I mean, all the things you do to prepare. And then if the thing blows over and nothing happens, Great. You put out a little effort to be prepared and nothing happened. But if something does happen, better to be prepared and not have a problem than have a problem and not be prepared. That's really what the essence of the show is about. So from a practical point of view, what does that mean? Well, the first thing is to examine your current markets and see what exposure there might be to just an industry or one particular economic subset. And then as you're looking at new markets, if you are a new demographic or new product types to be in, just consider how diverse is that compared to what else you have. An extension of that is this idea of investing in another foreign jurisdiction, what Simon Black would call planting a flag offshore. Simon's premise is much the same. He says if you take prudent steps to be diversified across different countries and different economies and nothing goes wrong, how are you any worse off? You're probably not any worse off. But what happens when your particular economy and with the real estate guys heard in more than 190 countries, if you're just investing in yours and your country has an issue, well, then what if all your eggs are one basket? So it might make some sense to think about, is there another market or markets outside of my currency, outside of my economic system that would make sense to consider? Absolutely. I mean, again, this the topic here really is diversification, strategic yep. diversification. Uh, and then, you know, we talked about liquidity reserves and, uh, and the importance of cash flow. Uh, and then uh, preserving purchasing power is another thing. You know, what kind of assets do you invest in that maybe aren't very liquid, but they tend over time to provide great insulation uh, against inflation or falling currency, or they hold their relative purchasing value. In other words, I want to get out of currency exposure. It doesn't matter what, because, you know, a lot of countries are Jim Rickard's point, having currency wars, and they're all in the process of devaluing their currency. Uh, the other thing is, is for just from the demographics, going back to markets for just a moment, right? We talked about product types, you know, kind of that B class and meet in the middle. And, and then we talked about different, different markets and they have different personality types in terms of diversification and diversifying your portfolio. But these, con this concept of affordable markets, when we hear people talking about real estate, oh, real estate is up or real estate down or housing starts are high or home sales are down, they're throwing national statistics all in a blender and then they're smoothing it all out and they're coming up with an average doesn't represent any particular market at all. Right. In fact, if you took that average, you might look at 50 markets and not a single one of them would match that. So you can't make strategic decisions about your portfolio based on these national trends. They kind of give you a flavor, but what they tell you is there's some places that are up 
some places that are down. There are some places where people are moving in. There are some places where people are moving out. There are some places where companies are growing and hiring. There are some places where companies are closing down and firing. When you realize that, that as those, those national averages move around, that there's going to be little pockets of opportunity, you have to drill deeper below the surface and get your mind around where those markets are. Big picture, Americans reel it wages have been going down for quite some time. That means people are getting poorer in terms of their ability to pay. You look at things like the basic costs of living, like health care, energy. Oil has almost doubled from the, the bottom. I mean, it seems like it's still way down, but you know, if, if we, we talked about this back when oil went way down. Do not raise rents on your people counting on the savings from oil because right. it's a temporary phenomenon yep. because the Fed is committed to inflation, which means denominated in dollars, oil will go up, and that's what's been happening. The Fed has gotten past their 2% target inflation. Normally, they should be raising interest rates, but they're not, right? That that gives you a clue. Something is off, and that's a whole different topic. The weather gauges that you look at to try to determine you know, what is the kind of the economic health, right? So there's there's some signs out there that there's some weakness. And what you want to do is try and build some strength in by anticipating when the weakness hits, who's it going to hit the hardest? And when people decide, hey, I can no longer afford to live here in this type of property, or I can no longer afford to live here in this particular neighborhood or state, where are they going to go and why? And you anticipate that. You literally can be the beneficiary of bad times as people migrate towards a better opportunity. It'd be like if the ship is sinking and you carve out a space on the high ground because now you know that all the people that are on the part that's going underwater are going to be running. If you know the flood is coming and you, you know, you've got a little mountain and you, all the people in the valley, they're going to be underwater. If you've got the high ground, people are going to come. Your property is going to be worth more, even though their property is going to be worth less. Well, and it's not just in a collapse or a challenge or, or the, the, the bigger picture is where are people going in general? And then in this mindset of I'm going to prepare, I'm going to hunker down, I'm going to be ready to weather a storm, what's going to make sense? Right now, we've been very active in going into investment areas where the baby boomers are having an effect because they're a huge economic force. And right now, they're retiring. They're looking at retiring markets. Many of those decisions are being made today because of cost. I can go retire with my same lifestyle at a lower rate. And a lot of those are international destinations. So I'll tell you what, there's some great opportunity if you'll just open up your mind a little bit and at the same time get this diversity of, say, even currency. So, you know, if you listen to a guy like Peter Schiff, who is always talking about emerging markets or international diversification in stocks, the concept of diversifying internationally, the reason he's doing it is because he's saying, look, if you are denominating all of your stock holdings in dollars, companies that generate dollars, companies that pay dividends in dollars, and the dollar begins to go down, then those companies are going to suffer. And then the capital is going to look for other opportunities, and those would be in the emerging markets. I just got done listening to another guy who said the same thing. And he said that the American stock market, and we're not stock investors, but he said the American stock market is trading like at 25 times earnings on average. I don't really have a benchmark for that. But he said emerging markets are trading at seven times earnings. Okay, now I have a compare and contrast. All right. So if the American market is trading at 25 times earnings and the foreign markets are trading at seven times earnings. Which one is cheaper? Well, it'd be better to buy the foreign markets, Definitely. right? They have more upside. And that was his argument. And, and, and that's the concept of diversifying. Well, the same thing is true if you understand uh, just real estate because real estate is denominated in whatever the currency is, you know, and it's trading based on the relative health of the economy. And when economies are struggling, for example, the strong dollar has created some issues for some other emerging markets. But now that the dollar is beginning to weaken, those emerging markets are beginning to have some favor. So, you know, if you're interested from a lifestyle perspective, or just from an intellectual perspective, the stimulation of studying other markets and stuff. I mean, that's what we do. We, we're very interested in that. We've been interested in international investing for quite some time, and that's a big part of what we've done. And we did it for a lot of different reasons, but part of it was we just liked it. You know, yeah. it was interesting to us. And we picked a product class that we thought would serve the right demographic. How do you derive rents from the affluent? We picked a marketplace that we felt had a real supply and demand imbalance that could be capitalized on. And then trying to figure out how to go in there and add value 
value to that particular area as a developer and make that happen. So that was a very fun exercise in trying to figure out how do we go into a foreign market, diversify our own portfolio, create opportunities, and take advantage of what the market will give us, which really brings up a different topic. Because really, if you think about it with different markets within the states or internationally, different markets will give you different kinds of opportunities. And sometimes you can go out and say, well, this is what I want. And as you often say, Robert, oh, it's good to want. It's good to want. But the market may not give you what I want to be in multifamily in these markets and I want a 10% cap. Good to want. It's good to want, right? Right now, those things might be four, you know, and it's just that's the nature of the beast because everybody wants it. And the point is, you know, American stocks, 25 times earning because everybody wanted to climb the American boat because it looked like, uh, you know, the Americans are the only ones that have a decent economy. Now everybody's like, well, maybe the American economy isn't as good as it was cracked up to be because the Fed can't raise interest rates. And, you know, corporate earnings aren't all that great. And these jobs reports say things are great, but it's not showing up in, in wages. And so we're not really sure this is so great. So now they start going out looking for other places. And as that money migrates or companies migrate, or people migrate, and their money goes with them, the place that they are going into begins to raise, to my point earlier, right? Well, that's true across borders. It's not just true across state lines, but it can be true across international lines. And that's one of the reasons why you may want to consider taking a look at international markets, especially if it incorporates into your lifestyle and you enjoy traveling. Well, and there's the extreme, right? Doug Casey talks about having a bolt hole a place, a hole you can go hide in if you have to bolt in the middle of the night, whether that's because of some big economic issue or it's a regional issue or it's a personal issue. And this idea of, is there a place you could go where you would have access to the things you need and enjoy in life? And it's a plan B. Would you be any worse off by setting that up? Will you be any worse off by having cash on hand or any worse off by having precious metals? That's what we're talking about today when we come back more from the Real Estate Guys. And we'll play Real Estate Trivia next. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, this is Garrett Sutton, Robert Kiyosaki's asset protection attorney and the author of Loopholes of Real Estate and Start Your Own Corporation. As an American or foreign-based investor in U.S. real estate, you know we are a litigious society. You know that you need to protect your real estate, paper, and bullion holdings with the right mix of LLCs and corporations. Our firm, Corporate Direct, not only forms these entities, but importantly, we properly maintain them too. If you fail to follow the corporate formalities, you can lose it all in an instant. Corporate Direct is your source for LLC protection and maintenance in all 50 states. Visit CorporateDirect.com or call 800-600-1760. Mention the Real Estate Guys for a free bonus. That's 800-600-1760 or CorporateDirect.com. We look forward to assisting you at CorporateDirect.com. If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the secrets of successful syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Hi, I'm Steve Forbes. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Listen up. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. Markets go up, markets go down, markets are strong, markets are weak. How do you make sure you have strategies in place to weather the storm when things don't go so well? That's what we're talking about today on the program. Before we get back to that discussion, it's time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize by knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question. In just a minute, I'm going to give you a question that has something to do with real estate and you 
are going to quickly get the answer to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and your mailing address because if you're the winner, we're going to send you a copy of Robert Kiyosaki's latest book, Second Chance. It's a good one. Before we give you this week's trivia question, last week on The Real Estate Guys, we were talking about finding multifamily deals and commercial loans, and we asked this in the movie Purple Rain. Prince played the kid whose band and rival bands performed at a nightclub, and where was the actual club that was used in the filming of the movie? Well, the answer is at 1st Avenue and 7th Street in downtown Minneapolis. Two clubs, actually known as the Main Room and the Entry, are venues housed in this same landmark building. In fact, Dave Chappelle has just announced some new dates in this very spot, Minneapolis. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. Which U.S. state has the largest migratory elk herd? Yep, of all the U.S. states, only one has the largest migratory elk herd. If you know or think you want to take a guess... Send us your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. The first person with the right answer will get a copy of Robert Kiyosaki's Second Chance. That's today's real estate trivia question. We're talking about strategies to uh, hunker down if need be. If uh, everything doesn't go well and rosy, how can we make sure as real estate investors we're taking prudent steps? You know, uh, another idea is the product type of agriculture. We've talked a little bit about agriculture. We've been interested personally in agriculture. And it's interesting if you think about the lean times and the challenging times. One of the things about agriculture is you don't have all the tenant issues. Another thing is it produces yield. Well, back when we created the Real Asset Investing Report, and we really started to talk to investors about this idea of creating a portfolio that was rooted in real assets as opposed to paper assets markets that are harder to manipulate, things that just can't be manufactured, right? When you create more of something, it, it increases the supply. It means the value typically goes down. So as they print more and more and more dollars, that makes the dollars go down. Now you say, well, dollars haven't really gone down. Well, that's because other countries have been printing currency just as fast or faster. But that means all currencies are going down, which means that over time, all real assets, things that are tangible, real estate, gold, gems, commodities of all different types would tend to go up denominated in those currencies, but they're not really moving. What they're doing is they're retaining their value. So something that cost $20 a hundred years ago today costs $1,000, but $1,000 isn't what it was a hundred years ago. Right. Right. So it's, it's relative, but that means that if you had retained the dollars, it would still only be worth $20, but you would need a thousand to buy that same thing. And that's the concept of, of currency diversification or moving out of currency and getting into real assets. Well, when you think about what are real assets? Obviously, land, real estate, things like that, but commodities. And then you think, okay, if we are really in a currency war, if there really is a possibility that a, we could have a currency collapse or a currency reset, and to Jim Rickard's point, it's you know it's not the end of the world. Right. It isn't you know the zombie apocalypse, but it does create some trauma, especially for the ill prepared. So we're talking about being prepared, and part of that preparation is having things that are real. And then there are certain things that are real, but they aren't essential. And so if things get tight for people and they start jettisoning the desire or the ability or the willingness to part with their money in order to acquire things, the things that they're most likely to get rid of are the things that are non-essential, right? If you think about it, if you fall on hard times and, and you're used to having certain luxuries in your life and you say, well, okay, I'm going to get rid of those so that I can focus on having a roof over my head, clothes on my back, and food to eat. And I'm going to concentrate on those three. So if you think about that, if as an investor, if you can invest in things that are going to produce those things, then you, you, know, you might want to own land, the commodities that go into building a building. You might want to own food and the land that it grows on. You may want to own energy and the things that are going to power things and allow people to live and heat their homes and, all, and, and transportation and all the fundamentals. And if you focus on those things that are real and essential – or the marketplaces that deal in or derive their income or their economic vibrancy from things that are real and essential, that's a great possibility. So we were out there looking for these things. And we came across these guys, and several of them actually, that were in the agricultural space. We started talking to them. And of course, their, their thinking was further along than ours at the time because they were in the space. And that's how you learn, right? You go find people that are further down the road. We started talking to them. We started explaining the benefits. And one of the things one guy said to me that I thought was absolutely brilliant, he goes, look, here's the thing. You plant a tree and it grows. 
And it doesn't care what the Fed does. It doesn't care what interest rates are. It doesn't care that there might be weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. It doesn't care that there was a terrorist bombing in France. It doesn't care. It just grows. Yep. It grows about 6 to 8% every year, no matter what. And so where you have all of this volatility going on, two decades later, you have these little saplings that have grown into these gigantic trees that now have a commodity called lumber that is still valuable in human society somewhere. And maybe the economic power base shifted from west to east or north to south. I mean, it doesn't really from country A to country B. And so now you thought, you know, when you planted the trees, you go, oh, I'm going to sell all these things to the United States. And then you wake up 20 years later and go, I'm going to sell it all to China. It doesn't make any difference. Right. It doesn't matter where the people are as long as there are going to be people who need that commodity. It's true with food. It's true with lumber. It's true with uh, commodities that come out of the ground, you know, the uh, strategic metals, the things that go into components. There's, there's a lot of these types of products out there as an investor. You can invest in both the land and the commodity itself. A lot of people in the paper asset, they deal in futures contracts on the commodities. As a real asset investor, I'm more interested. I'd rather own the land itself. And then, you know, I can sell the rights and let somebody else pull the stuff out of it or farm it and ship it off and do whatever. And then that produces income for me. And if you buy that kind of land with an eye towards multiple exit strategies, even more so, right? A big piece of land is an asset and how you use it and what you do could change over time, right? We had Juan Fisher on the program a few months ago. He's an attorney from Uruguay, and he's got really a book of business about farmland there, and it's graded based on its soil suitability. And all. Fascinating stuff, but I'm going to guess that if there's economic collapse in the U.S., I'm probably not going to go live on my farm in Uruguay, but maybe I could go live in another property in another place that either produces income or maybe it is an agricultural play. There's all kinds of things to think about. And so we're playing offense and defense at the same time as real estate investors. We're looking for yield. We're looking for places to put our assets so that they return. And at the same time, we're going to play defense. You know, Jim Rickards in his second book, The Death of Money, talks about some ways to be strategic in terms of the defense. And he likes having cash and he likes having precious metals. Well, normally those things don't move together. And so on one hand, you talked about deflation versus inflation. If you have either of those scenarios, I mean, we've talked before about this idea. And in fact, uh, David Smith, who came on our summit this year and writes for uh, David Morgan's newsletter, just came out with this interesting article citing all these different guys, including Jim Rickards in his new book, and their opinion about a gold reserve, a standard, uh, getting back to a sound money system where gold, there's plenty of gold, the price would just have to come up. And we've talked about that strategy. Oh, I'm telling you, I, I think, you know, again, going back, if you haven't ordered the Real Asset Investing Report and read it, it's about 30, 40 pages. So, I mean, it's meaty and there's a lot there. But if you're really interested in this topic, you might want to do that. Just send an email to realasset at realestateguysradio.com or you can go to the website under the resources tab look on the special reports, find the Real Asset Investing Report and click on it and then you can you can order it. It's free. Well, I'm going to suggest people get that report anyway because it is a great tool. You'll learn from it, but it'll also give you some talking points if you're out talking to people. We often say to folks that are raising money, if you're raising money to do a real estate deal, you're raising money from people that probably have their money in another asset. You better know a lot about different asset classes, which is why we talk more than real estate on this show. Right? We think of real estate as maybe a fourplex people are living in, but real estate is agriculture, real estate is gold and silver, which comes out of the ground, real estate is oil and gas. Diversity is a, is a one way to be defensive. Well, and these things are affected by human behavior and what people are interested in. And you may not be interested in these things, but other people are. And so money moves in, money moves out. It's affected by policy. It's affected by geopolitics. There's, there's so many things that affect you. I mean, that was the big lesson to me personally in 2008. You know, there's these things going on. If you've seen the movie The Big Short, right? You understand what happened to the mortgage industry, right? There was all kinds of things going, well, I don't have anything to do with Wall Street. I do real estate. I'm in the mortgage business. Well, you know, guess what? You do. So the point is, is that as the world, it becomes more interconnected and more fluid and you have all of this stuff going on, you just have to recognize that these other things have influences on the factors that are very, very important to you. And it is more complex. We do live in a more complex world, but you're talking about the opportunity to make millions and millions and millions of dollars 
if dollars are worth anything, right. to acquire a lot of assets. That's why I don't look at it. When I think about what I'm here to do, what I'm here to do is accumulate the efforts of others. I want to own the means of production. Over history, the people who have made the most money have owned the means of production. Back in the agricultural age, if you owned the land, then you owned the means of production. The serfs worked the land. They made the land create produce. They paid you a percentage of that because they worked your land. They got to keep part of it. And so it created a yield for you, but you were in the driver's seat because you owned the means of production. Later on in the industrial age, if you built the company and you owned the factory and you had all that intellectual property with the designs and everything, people would come to work for you and they would give you their life energy, if you will, or rent it out to you. And then you would make a profit on their efforts because you owned the means of production. That's the benefit of being either a business owner or an investor. You know, And then people buy those shares of that stock. And then, it, and then what happened is when... Just like with real money and gold, you know, and it turned into coupons and certificates, the further away you get from the actual asset, the more likely that somebody is going to be able to play games with it. And we've got a lot of game playing going on in the markets right now, which is why there's so much volatility. It's become a casino. If you read David Stockman's work, he talks about that. So the idea as an investor is how can I get as close to the real asset as possible? How can I understand the economic environment of how all these real assets interact with each other and then how can I set myself up so that if things do well economically I'm fine pretty much if you own anything when things go well economically you're gonna be okay the bigger issue is how do I make sure a that I know a storm is coming so what am I looking at and how do I that's why I pay attention to gold gold tells me about the health of the dollar and then when it happens or if it were to happen do I have a plan B one of the basic adages in real estate investing or any type of investing is don't go into the deal until you know at least two ways you're going to get out of the deal. Have a plan A. If everything goes right, this is what we're going to do. But if we have a problem, we might do this or we might do this or we might do this. And you have to have multiple exit strategies. If you go to a theater, they, you know, you go in the front door, by law, they have, at least in the United States, you have to have several exits, right? You can't just go in and get trapped. You don't want to have your portfolio built so that you got in and you get trapped, right? First time I constructed a portfolio, I only had one exit and it needed required sunshine. And when the sun stopped shining, I didn't have a way out. Note to self, don't do that again. It is not a matter of if, but when there's going to be economic turmoil in the real estate market, your real estate market, in the economy, in world politics, all that kind of stuff. So our motto, be prepared and be offensive and be defensive. Hey, thanks for tuning into the Real Estate Guys show today. Tell a friend, and until next week, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys radio show is brought to you by Paradigm Life, powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys radio show.